sin is the thing behind the thing. So if you're experiencing some brokenness this morning, there's a good chance that you can tie the root of it back to something that sin is influencing. We're going to start a new series called Hide and Seek today. And here's, here's my, my desire as a pastor, my desire as a, just a, a Christian, is really to see you live your story well. You know, if Jesus, uh, his whole announcement to us, his, the point of his life was really that we could live a whole new way of life right here in the midst of this one. Um, and, and that basically that you can live life the way that you were created and designed to live way before the foundations of the earth. Like you can have that full life that he, that he planned for you to live, then there's, it's normal for us to think that there are probably forces for us uh, that stop us from living that life. There are forces that stop us from, from experiencing all that God has created us uh, to do. And that, th- that force that stops us, that creates gaps of disillusionment and gaps of, of disconnectedness and, and gaps really of separation what that force is, what we, as people of the Bible, we believe is sin. Sin is this, is this, un, you know, just the, this mess that created such a, a, a big gap between us and God that we really find ourselves uh, tr- trying to figure out what to do with that gap. So if your story, if the point of your story is to live well, like you, you want to live the best life possible, and, and the point of Jesus' announcement was that you could, and that we can trust him to actually be the author and finisher of our story, then we have to realize that these gaps are created by sin. And so sin, just simply put, the definition of sin that I've used for a long time is any way that you participate in the brokenness of the world, any way that you perpetuate the brokenness of the world. Sin is any way that you participate in that separation between us and God. Sin is, is the broken uh, pieces of the world. And what we, what we begin to realize is that not only, do we have, not only do we participate in sin, not only do we have sinful activity, we also have been recipients, many of us, of sin. And so many times you might hear a pastor say, hey, you know, stop sinning, pull up your bootstraps, get out of the church, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you, they kind of are kind of a bit condescending to it, maybe. And maybe you've had that experience before. But for, for, for us, we, we really recognize the fact that not only do we perpetuate sin through our activity, but we also are recipients of sin many times in our life that are causing major issues for our story, causing many issues for our story. And so we find ourselves uh, interacting with that. But here, here's the thing. There's two ways to think about sin. First, there's the activity of sin. This is what we have this outer realm here. This, there's the activity of sin. This is many times maybe what you think about it. Like, oh man, I sinned yet again. Or I did something that caused harm or pain. Or I did something that was not what God's design for my life was, right? So, so I did something. It's, a, it's active in nature. But many times we forget that sin is actually systemic in nature as well. It's kind of like a force underneath the surface. It's something that causes. So our identity because of sin is now a sinner, right? So not only does sin happen, but the sin happens because our identity is that of a sinner. But we have good news that coming at the end of the sermon. Can I get an amen, right? Like we, we, we have this identity change 
when we become followers of Jesus, that we no longer are sinners, but the Bible calls us saints, okay? No one gives money and prays to us, praise the Lord, right? Like three people got that from the Catholic Church. Um, but but, but we, we, the Bible now calls us saints. And so we have to understand that not only is it the, like if we just lived in the activity realm, all we're doing is behavior modification. But if we understand sin at the DNA level, our identity of, uh, of who we are, then we'll understand that there's activity that flows from our identity. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you're no longer a sinner, but you're a saint. And from that saint heart, you'll begin to participate in the activity of God. But many of us, we get stuck here thinking, well, if I just line up my outer realm, if I just like, you know, go to church and I do this over here, whatever, I get that activity. And then maybe that'll perpetuate, maybe that will uh, like penetrate this identity and then everything will feel better. But the, the, the trajectory of the Bible is starts with the identity and it flows out of you. Are we tracking this morning? Right? So it's not just activity. It's also identity. Sin not only affects what we do, it really affects who we are. And so our hearts need to be shaped and changed by Jesus. It's not new year, new you. It's really all Jesus all the time. Right? And so sin really, we find ourselves there. But sin is this underlying force that's really showing up in the world. And so I have a friend of mine um, named Steve. He, he always says it this way. Sin is the thing behind the thing. I mean, that clears it up, right? Sin is the thing behind the thing. So if you're experiencing some brokenness this morning, there's a good chance that you can tie the root of it back to something that sin is influencing. Sin is the, the, the just kind of the thing that's, that's causing, ha- wreaking havoc all over the world, all over God's good creation. And what God's trying to do is, is sh- cha- change you and shape you to become more like his son. He's changed you from sinner to saint if you follow him. And he wants to help you live that life in your activity. So sin is the thing behind the thing. If you have some sort of brokenness this morning, you could probably tell that they're rooted in some sort of sin influence, right? There's something there that God wants to take control of, something in you. And so today I got the, an awesome acrostic for you. We love acrostics in here, praise the Lord, right? One of us, great, so awesome. Come on, this is my job. I like to do this for fun. We got acrostics for you today. But, but here's the thing. Sin is the thing behind the thing, and so number one, sin is uh, triggers. But let me read the story of Genesis chapter three for you first. It says this, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the servant replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. 
At the, woman, their, at, at the moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So a few things this morning. Number one, sin is, uh, sin is full of triggers. It's the thing behind the thing. Sin triggers us. And, and, and for, for, for Eve, it was one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? See, what sin does in order to trigger us, it dismantles and disrupts and distorts the words of God. So the triggers that we all experience in life, I mean, we all get triggered all the time, and we get triggered to, to really uh, distort what God thinks and really get to, and not have a proper understanding of his view for our life. And so if you see here, what, what, what the serpent's doing is he's causing them to not trust what God initially said to them. God said, not, God didn't say you may not eat from any tree in the garden. So it causes this disruption for her. And then he says, well, certainly you won't die. But in chapter two, God literally says you will die. And so our triggers in life due to sin are largely rooted in the distortion of God's words and God's plans for us. And we end up in spots where we feel like God is holding out on us. Here's, here's what Eve ultimately believes and what the serpent tricks her into thinking is that God doesn't have what's best for her. God doesn't have like the goodness of his entire being. God is holding out on her and if she just would eat this fruit that somehow she would gain access to the things that God is holding from her. So she begins to believe that she should only and that she can only create for herself what she was previously trusting in God to create. See, triggers, triggers are moments where we decide that we can actually create our future we can create our life. We can create the things that are going to make us feel the best. Sin, sin really will move us to, to, to tempt, and tempt us to, to sit ourselves on the throne of our hearts, causing us to believe that we are Lord and God is not. And so the question for you today is, what distortions of God's word do you believe what parts of your life are you beginning to understand, like misunderstand what God has said about you or planned for you? 
What distortions do you believe? Many times what we try to do as good Christians is we try to put our own interpretation on things in the Bible sometimes. And really what they do is they just perpetuate Christian culture. They are actually what God told us. We have to get to the actual moments of when God mentioned direction for us. When we read the New Testament, we have to say, this is what it actually says. And these are the times, these are the things that we're doing to pad it. When when we talk about our activity in sin, we say, well, certainly it's not that bad. I won't, certainly I won't die. God says, no, it's death for you. And so we find ourselves in triggers where we are tempted to believe that we can create for ourselves what only God can. But here's what Eve does. Eve perpetuates the next letter, hopelessness. Really, sin is hopeless. Look what she does. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she sees this, she triggers distorted God's words. And then she says, well, let me see if there's some life that I can get from doing something and participating in a life that God didn't design me to live. Well, maybe the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. John, uh, the apostle later on, he writes in the New Testament similar words. He says this, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. He's saying, man, look at the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And what I love about this, Jesus, he actually reverses this pattern as the better Adam, the good and better Moses, the good and better human, the one who really sets this new pattern for us to live life. He experiences the same temptations in Matthew 4, and he addresses them with scripture. He says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live in bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only look at this quick summary, and this would be really awesome for you to go study this week. Just a quick you know, few minutes as you look at these passages. Eve thought it was beautiful. John warns us of the lust of the eyes, but Jesus beats this temptation and says, trust God. Eve thought the fruit was delicious. John warns, of us, warns us of the lust of the flesh. And Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but, but will be given life from the words of God. And he invites us to know him because when we know him more, it's easier to trust him with our lives. Eve says that wisdom was desirable. John warns us of the pride of life, this, this fact that we have our security and identity in, our, in both of our possessions and our, uh, and our promotions. And Jesus says we should fear God and worship and serve him only, even if that means letting go of all the ways it makes sense to follow him. So we want to navigate this moment, this hopelessness. We want to stop perpetuating this thing that we actually can create for ourselves what only God could create for us. If we believe that, we'll continue to be cycling through, although the sin is beautiful and the sin is actually delicious. The wisdom I get from it is good. 
But Jesus invites us not to trust in ourselves, but to trust God, to know God, and to fear him. Not to be scared of him, but to have deep reverence of the fact that he is the creator and we are the creation. So we want to, sin, sin creates this hopelessness in us as we, as we long to pull life from sin, as we long to pull life from the triggers of our life. But then we also find ourselves stumbling out of that hopelessness. The only thing that it can create for us is the next point, insecurity. Look what it says here in 3.7. Eve at that moment, or Adam and Eve at their moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. See, God didn't create you to feel shame at who you were, at who you are. See, this moment here, all of a sudden they felt the weight of shame, like they did something wrong and they actually have knowledge now that they shouldn't have. It's really, the shame isn't so much about what they did and what they didn't do. It's about the separation now that they caused between them and God. See, what sin does, it separates you from him. And that separation causes insecurity and reaps and wreaks a bunch of shame on you. And many of us, our whole life has been moment after moment and season after season, trying to get the shame off your shoulders, either because of something you've done or something done to you. And God's message, his announcement, and his invitation for you today is to come out of hiding. See, there's a difference between shame and sorrow. Look, look what Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about this in 2 Corinthians. Since the kind of sorrow God does want us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for, the, for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which is what we know of as shame, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. See, sorrow is good. When we can see our sin and it causes sorrow, that should lead us to repentance. Repentance is the Greek word that, that means to turn around in the opposite direction. It's basically very simple. It's, that's stupid. Right, let's go this way. Sin is, repentance isn't this big magical moment. It's just this decision. The good and better way is the life that Jesus has announced for us, and so I'm going to live that way. So sorrow that leads you to that repentance is good and right and godly. It's what we call conviction in many ways and circles. But shame, shame thinking that we are not who we, that God says we are, that we aren't children of God, that we aren't, uh, some, that we somehow deserved what happened to us all those years ago. Shame that perpetuates hopelessness, that continues the triggers that forces us into insecurity. He said, no, 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 that's not what you were created for. Because here's ultimately where insecurity will bring us. It brings us to understanding the wrong narratives for our life. Look what the story continues. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. See, this should be a moment of joy our creator, God, our father is coming to spend time with us, is coming to walk around with us. And what do they do? Instead of walking with him, they hide. So they hid. Shame always forces you into hiding. 
And so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? See, here's, here's what I know when I'm stuck in these cycles of sin in my life. My narrative that I begin to believe is that I need to hide. Certainly, nobody wants to know the real me. Certainly, I can't approach God with this. Certainly, I need to fix it, and I need to check it at the door because I can't bring it into the presence of God. And God's always going to correct our wrong narratives with one simple question. Where are you? You know, this is the first time God ever asks a question in the Bible. He wants to be with his people. He always wants to be with his people. Like, he, like there's nothing that you can do to separate you from that. Many of us think we just have this undeserving wrath of God that we just wait for him to strike us dead when, whenever we walk into the doors of a church. Maybe you had that at some point. There's nothing that can separate you from his desire to be with you. Even in this moment, he could have been extremely annoyed at this moment, don't you think? Like, God, you deserve that one. But he asked the question, where are you? Where are you? God is constantly in search for us. But our narratives get stuck in our head. Maybe for you is some narrative that someone said about you a long time ago. For me, my narrative that I often uh, get stuck cycling through is that God actually can't take care of me. I get stuck in that. And so that forces me to take care of everything else. And man, my wife would tell you how that wreaks havoc on our marriage sometimes. I just feel like, oh, God's not gonna take, I gotta take care of it. And then what I do is I present that to God. Look God, look at my life. And he says, good job. Now let me show you what I can do with it. And it leads us to understanding the heart of God, a God that's constantly searching after us. What are the narratives that you believe that God never intended for you to believe? God never intended you to live your life trying to, shape, to shake off the shame. God never intended for you to experience some sort of shame at who you really are. He says, man, not only do I love you, I like you, and I want to be with you. So our invitation today, our announcement that, that Genesis 3 is offering to us is that we can come out of hiding. Whatever you think needs to be hidden, God is calling out to the open. He's calling out into the light. See, when you lift up a rock, are you going to look for a Thanksgiving dinner? No, right? Anything that lives in the dark is going to perpetuate more death. But you bring that into the light, and we experience our last point, the grace of God. Here's what... We see here in Genesis 3, it says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This verse here, verse 15, is the first prophecy that Jesus is gonna come and put everything back together again. God is getting this ready right from the beginning. Verse 21, later on, he says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Where did they get these clothes, these garments of skin? They would have had to 
kill an animal in order to get that. God made the first sacrifice on behalf of his people so that he would cover their shame his way. And I bet they looked a whole lot better than the leaves they put together. The grace of God is always going to, uh, to cause us to in, in announce, and invite us to trust and rest in Christ. And for many of us, we think, okay, well, we already have the grace of God. We're Christians, right? We, that, that happened at the beginning, right? I love what Dallas Willard says about this. He says, saints burn through grace faster than sinners should any day because we keep going back. We know, man, we need the grace of God. We know that the grace of God is what covers all of our shame. And we have experienced the easiness of the yoke and the lightness of the weight of God. See, what the grace of God is going to announce for us, it says that through Jesus' death and resurrection, our righteousness, all of our goodness, everything that we think of as good, we can't offer up to God because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't satisfy it doesn't cause the separation to go away. So he needed Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the one who's going to put all things back together. He needed him to die and resurrect. And when we announce that, he says he does that in our life. He does that in our heart. See, many of you, even, even those of you that have struggled with sin for a long time or you've struggled with sin in the past, you still wreak the shame of it today. And that's not what Jesus' invitation is for you. Like, well, I used to struggle with this. I used to do that. I used to be like this. And that's not your identity anymore. Our identity is to be a saint. Our identity is a child of God. Our identity is being whole in our image so that we can be connected in relationship with God. And he's asking you, shape that off. Shake that off. The grace of God is light. The grace of God is easy. Sometimes as good religious people, what we try to do is we think, oh man, if I, if I do this, if I do that, if I go this, certainly God won't, like God will take this off of me. And he said, man, you're missing the point. I've already done it. I've already done it. See, many of us, for, maybe for you, you're like when you get confronted with the shame of sin, what you end up doing is you try to pull up your bootstraps and become a better person. And so, but here's the reality. Only God can save you. You can't save you. You can't pull yourself out of a, a ditch. Many of us, we go to others and we either become codependent or we become completely independent. And we have to look for this validation and stuff that we do, stuff that we don't do, stuff that we engage in, the relationships that we have. And but here's the reality. Only God can validate you. Or perhaps you go to the world. You're like, well, if I have all these possessions, I love my house. I'm really awesome at my job. Says, no, no, no. God is the only one that can give you purpose. Not your religion. Not yourself. Nobody else. Certainly not the world. So his invitation today for you is to shake off the shame of sin and pick up the grace of God. 
clothe yourself in God's grace so that we can experience the lightness and the easiness of Christ. His announcement isn't that you're so far from him that you'll never be able to get there. His announcement is that he's for you and he's calling you out of hiding so that you can actually experience the life that he created you to live. See, our sin, it, 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 it causes us to slow it down. But, but, but really, Hebrews is going to announce this to us in a major way. He says, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. His invitation is to come out of hiding, shed off the sin, and fix your eyes on Jesus. If you can do that, you will truly get the fact that he didn't make your, he's not going to make your life easy, but he's going to make your life better. And the easiness and the lightness of Jesus. So for you today, what is that? Sin triggers us to distort God's words. It creates hopelessness because we're pulling life from the wrong thing. If you go to the next slide, Jen, it, it, it causes insecurity because we don't have security in ourselves, only in Christ. Sin changes the narrative from, from I want to hide, from, from really we should be with Christ to I want to hide from him. But sin will always and can always lead us to grace. We can trust him in that today. God's announcement is that he's for you. You're not too far. You're not too far. There's nothing you can do to separate him. And he loves you. He wants to be with you. But we got gaps. And we got backpacks. But God did something about that. And we no longer have to live in this disillusionment. But we can receive the grace of God. And so today we're going to uh, come out of hiding. We're going to celebrate communion together as a way to take that step. Jesus, we are, uh, we are listening. God, sometimes we feel like there's no way you could be asking us, where are you? Like there's no way that, that you could be close to us in this moment. And God, so this morning, we ask that you would Remind us of the lightness of God. Remind us of the easiness of Christ. Encourage us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us so that we can pick up the grace of God.